This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School, our final 30 of the day. Two years ago, Amazon entered the grocery field with its purchase of Whole Foods. Now the Wall Street Journal reporting that the e-commerce giant is planning to launch urban grocery stores separate from the Whole Foods chain, perhaps even by the end of the year. If these stores are open and include beauty products, among other goods, one way these stores could be different from Whole Foods is pricing. For years, the high-end chain has had the nickname Whole Paycheck, and that only briefly seemed to change when Amazon took it over. So what kind of threat do these urban stores present to other retailers, and why would Amazon want to expand in this manner? We discussed this with Barbara Kahn, marketing professor here at the Wharton School, and also Mark Cohen, director of retail studies at Columbia University's Graduate School of Business. Great to see you, Barbara. Yeah, good to be here. Mark, great to have you back with us. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, you have followed Amazon. You have seen the, the Amazon ghost stores that they have uh, put in. This idea playing, I guess, playing off of of Whole Foods, what, what were your thoughts? Well, you know, when you look at when Amazon opens their own stores rather than taking over something like Whole Foods, what they, what they really emphasize is low price and convenience. Um, so if you look at their bookstores or Amazon Go or something like that, they're fine stores. They're not beautiful stores, but they're the kind of stores you can get what you want at a cheap price and fast and convenient. Right. They also serve as, me- as mechanisms for them to collect data. And so you know, when you go into an Amazon store, you have to log in with your app, and everything you do in that store is then – connected with everything online. So yeah. it makes a lot of sense, I think, in terms of customer value. Cus- in food, food is something, you know, it's not something you love to shop for. Right. So if it's cheap and easy, that's a very strong customer proposition. So that makes a lot of sense from a customer point of view. From Amazon's point of view, their game is data. And they need to have frequency. What's really attractive about gra- grocery is not, it's not really the margin, it's the traffic. It's right. that you shop so often. So from Amazon's overall strategy, it makes sense. From a customer perspective, it makes sense. I think it was a natural next step. Mark? Well, I agree with everything Barbara just said, but I want to add another wrinkle to the mix, if you will. Um, Amazon's got a fundamental barrier to its uh, organic growth, if you will, and that is that there are quite a few customers, maybe millions of customers, who can't uh, participate in e-commerce either outright or who find it inconvenient. And that's largely because they don't have a place a package can be delivered uh, because no one's home and they're not comfortable or, or in any way willing to have something left on a doorstep. And so, you know, the UPS person shows up, puts a sticker on their door, and they have to schedule another delivery or they have to go pick their package up. So I, I think that this harkens back to the days when uh, the Sears Robux, uh, Sears Canada, operated uh, uh, large-scale, nationwide, uh, direct-to-consumer catalog businesses, and in fact had thousands and thousands of pickup locations throughout all their marketplaces, in addition to their stores. So in Sears Canada, thinly populated country, Uh, you could order something and have it delivered to a local dry cleaner or a local drugstore or a local grocery store in lieu of having the package actually dropped at your residence. 
So I think this this idea of creating a chain of convenience stores, grocery convenience stores, not uh, elevated in um, price or in presentation like Whole Foods, but ubiquitous, could be the basis of this kind of network of delivery and, of course, returns for customers. And there's a second element. There are quite a few customers, certainly in the United States, who can't transact through the Internet because they don't have credit cards. They either don't have them, they can't get them, or they have them and don't want to use them. And so having a network of locally convenient uh, places with which to interact with those customers, like an Amazon grocery convenience store uh, that will accept cash. Uh, remember back in the days it was referred to as cash on delivery? Yeah. But that will accept cash as a form of tender uh, would give them access to an enormous number of customers who very well might want to do business with Amazon, but who can't at the moment. So then, assuming they move forward with this, Barbara, with this idea, what should a consumer expect to see in an Amazon grocery store? What, and, and what size are we looking at? Yeah, I don't know the size per se, but it sounds like they're going to pick up existing grocery chains that are around now yeah. and buy those. So I would assume the normal size of a gro- neighborhood grocery store is basically what they're looking at. Yeah. And if you look at Amazon bookstores, Amazon four-star stores, Amazon Go, um, you'll uh, what I see when I look at those stores, they're not... They're not beautiful stores, so it's sure. it's really it's really convenience. But what's interesting about it is from the customer point of view. So they have tons of data, so they can make sure the inventory in the store meets the needs of that particular neighborhood. Right. They can also set up the store so it's convenient to go in and out. Tip all fashion grocery stores we all know would put the milk in the back of the store, right. so you would spend more time in the store. That's not going to be Jeff Bezos' idea. Jeff Bezos' idea is. Let us design the store so you can find what you want as fast as you need to find it and get in and out of there. And so it will be interesting to see what the stores look like in terms of how it's laid out, because I bet once they start working on it and use their data, they will change things that make sense from the customer perspective. So that's going to be pretty cool to see. And I would imagine, Mark, at some point, their hope is is to be able to... uh, to uh, bring all of this data together so that they can potentially enhance Amazon Prime as well. Absolutely. Well, you know, Amazon is uh, proof positive of uh, the value of big data and the way in which you collect it and the way in which you examine it and use it. Uh, It's not really a new idea. You know, 7-Eleven has uh, enterprise-wide systems that uh, enable them to manipulate, modify, and modify their assortments to be extremely relevant and also extremely efficient um, so that not only is the right brand on the right shelf in the right depth, but it's, but it's a place in the store where customers expect to find it. So you would expect anything Amazon would do in any format um, would be built upon this tremendous capacity they have to gather and analyze and understand and use what customers are saying to them every day. Uh, Of course, the more closely aligned they get to their prime customer, the more uh, tightly bound they are to those prime customers. But I I have, again, I don't want to overplay what I said earlier, but 
this business that they're purportedly about to go into is a very thin margin right. business. And though yeah. Amazon doesn't have issues with thin margin businesses, right. the fact is uh, they view that as an opportunity in many cases. Uh, it's ruthlessly price competitive. There's no price premium possible outside of a Whole Foods, if you will, and, and, and Whole Foods is not likely to succeed by suddenly become more expensive again. And so, so at the end of the day, I think this is um, creating more and more of a efficient connection to customers, especially those who they're not doing business with, who would like to do business with them. I know that in New York City, you know, I've got quite a few students. They live in buildings without doormen or security rooms, and, you know, they struggle with where am I going to get my package delivered, you know. And, and, and so the, these, these are consumers who don't do any brick-and-mortar business if they can avoid it. Um, they, they, I think, have petitioned to ask the school to allow them to have package deli- packages delivered to the school on their behalf, which I don't think they've um, um, gotten a green light on, but they are—they are not only Amazon Prime customers; they are—they are the center of the bullseye for Amazon. Yeah, can yet, I, I'm sorry. You, you know, and yet there's an element of their lifestyle that's in the way. So I just want to comment on two things that you said I think are interesting and just take it a little further, see what you think about this. The first thing is on the delivery system, what you're saying. Um, And there are different ways they can do that. They obviously have Amazon lockers. The grocery store could definitely be a place like that. Uh, Here on our Penn campus, I guess not on Columbia, we have an Amazon pickup store. And we have an Amazon pickup store. Very, I live in the city close to the school, so there's another one right there. So that need for urban consumers is very strong. And there are alternative, there are different ways to to get at that need. But I agree that's a need. And I think it brings up two issues. And I want, I want to bring up that issue and then I want to bring up the pricing issue that you mentioned because I agree with that too. So one of the things I think that's interesting about Amazon, unlike say a Walmart, Walmart is oper- operationally excellent. They are a logistics supply chain yeah. master. Yeah. And like you said, there's not a lot of margin in grocery. And the way Walmart made it make sense was to reduce costs. Now what Amazon's delivery system and for the reasons you're saying, that's not a cost-efficient way to deliver groceries. It's not cost-efficient to deliver to that last mile yeah. and to let everybody get whatever idiosyncratic bundle of goods that they have. And that's not the way Walmart's you know, looking at this convenience model. So I think what Amazon is doing is fundamentally changing the distribution channel by developing these distribution centers and, like you were saying, pickup centers. They need it because their model is so different from a typical operationally excellent grocery business. So that's one point. And I agree that they need the pickup. It's because they've changed the model. Right. The second thing I think is really interesting about what you're saying about pricing is that absolutely they want to manage the price and they want to manage the margin. Now, if you go into their bookstore or you go in Amazon Force Store or Amazon Go, the way they play with pricing is dynamic. So like in the Amazon Force Store, the price is a digital price, and what's shown in that store is the same price that they're featuring on their website, mm-hmm. and it can change as things happen. Similarly with the bookstore, the price is not listed on the book. You have to open up your app, and the price is going to be listed in that app, which means they can they can set different prices for Amazon Prime versus not Amazon Prime. Right. So I think in both of those ways, you know, those are two of the four P's, P, price, and place. Amazon's redefining the model. Mark? Well, I, I agree. Uh, I agree. Um, you know, they don't have 4,500 stores. 
that's Walmart's claim to fame that, you know, 90-some-odd percent of American consumers are within a few miles of a store. Uh, this isn't just an urban challenge. Uh, there are plenty of uh, suburban communities where people really don't want packages left on their door. Um, no one's come up with an alternative uh, delivery system in the form of a uh, an oversized mailbox that um, whoever's delivering for Amazon, if it's not Amazon themselves, can drop the package off and take from that mailbox a return. Uh, I think that may very well emerge. The Amazon locker uh, concept has been um, kind of a mixed bag in terms of its um, availability. Uh, they, they're very aggressive in trying to place those lockers uh, throughout the realm. Many, many stores just don't have a, a, a room for them, uh, and some don't really want uh, Amazon delivering through a locker things they're trying to sell in, on their, in, their, in their own right to their customers. So they're not likely to convince Target to install Amazon lockers. Sure, unless yeah. Some kind of a, an incredible combination uh, occurs. They got Kohl's to do it. <laughs> well, they got they got Kohl's to do it. It remains to be seen whether that's going to be a long-term. Uh, no, I think they're already pulling them out. I yeah. Th- yeah, I think they announced. You know, they're removing all the pop-up stores, but, including. But, yeah. but Mark, having having these stores, these grocery stores this size, would potentially eliminate some of that issue. Correct. Well, I, I keep harkening back to the original catalog model, and uh, when I was up in Canada, I was absolutely amazed. We had something like twenty-six or twenty-seven hundred of these pickup locations above and beyond our actual stores and other facilities. And they were local uh, merchants, and they ran the gamut literally from dry cleaners, drug stores, grocery stores, uh, gasoline stations. The, uh, the, the, uh, the owner manager of the store received a commission. Uh, it drove traffic to their store, so they felt it was of value to them. Um, it was something located as conveniently as possible to the community that the company was trying to serve, that it didn't or couldn't deliver uh, directly. Um, these had been in business for many, many, many years. The folks who managed these, these mom and pops often thought of themselves as Sears affiliates. Mm. Um, there was a tremendous element of customer service involved and a personality to their engagement with customers. And so it was a very um, successful model that ran forever in Canada and only ended in the U.S. when uh, the, the, the U.S. company pulled out of the catalog business. I think it's going to be a long, long time before drones are dropping packages into customers' uh, outstretched arms. Um, and even then, that's probably just not viable in urban areas, if you will. Um, and then, of course, there's this issue of cash. Yeah. You know, the whole world is going cashless for a whole variety of very good reasons. Except here in Philadelphia, Mark. <laughs> well, I know. I know. I've read about that. And, and municipalities are, in my opinion, correctly beginning to push back because it, it, dis, it disadvantages large numbers of customers. It's a form of prejudicial um, engagement, if you will. If it's not intended to be, that's what it actually becomes. And so how does Amazon do business with a customer who would love to be an Amazon shopper but can't 
or doesn't want to transact via credit card. Well, these convenience stores in Canada took credit cards or cash. Yeah. Uh, you know, cash is nasty in terms of its management requirements, the issues surrounding accounting and security, but it is the age-old tender. And uh, I think there's going to be a wave of action like what's happening in Philadelphia for good reason. And, and so what does Amazon do? H- how do they um, deal with that? Well, they could potentially deal with that by having these stores literally accept cash in lieu of uh, well, it'd be interesting other forms to see of how they do that because it's expensive. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the and the Philadelphia example obviously playing out for those people that don't know, the city uh, passed an ordinance recently that is basically banning uh, cashless stores ex- with a couple of exceptions, garages uh, being one of them, and, and that d- has drawn Barbara a lot of attention here in in Philadelphia and now around the country as to how this is impacting this push, this want to try and see if cashless is the way to go moving forward. Yeah, there are a lot, you know, like when I went to Africa over the summer, and they've kind of leapfrogged us, now, and there's people there that don't have a lot of money, but that's that really is ahead of us, as is China, in terms of using this cashless um, ways of paying. I wanted to change the subject, though. I think yeah. that those are really good points, but I, I just wanted to introduce some other things. Um, And one of the things that I think is interesting is to see what happens to CPG or consumer packaged goods as Amazon gets more power. Because one of the other announcements that was in the press uh, about Amazon was that they stopped their insisting that sellers on their marketplace only sell at low price. They stopped uh, some of their tactics about controlling price. We know consumer packaged goods have been some of them really big brands have seen losses in market share. As Amazon gets Gets more power in the grocery business. You know what is that going to mean for brands like uh, Kellogg's and Crafts, etc. Yeah, yeah. um, and if there's no antitrust against Amazon, and that's a whole other issue, Amazon has incredible power. And the more that they lock people up in this prime universe of their, the Amazon Prime universe with grocery and with that apparel and everything else, everybody's buying everything within Amazon. That gives Amazon way more power with yeah. regard to CPG. And it'll really be interesting to see what happens under those dynamics if this Amazon grocery stuff really takes off. Mark? Well, it's, it's, it's great that you brought that up, Barbara. I think the, uh, the announcement they made is fascinating. First of all, I think it's motivated by the fact that they, that they Amazon, feel like they are walking around with a target on their back. Um, that's, that's coming off of the rhetoric coming from not just uh, the President of the United States, but but this wave of um, uh, liberal candidates coming out of the Democratic Party who are calling for Amazon and others to be broken up, who are using Amazon as an example of all things that are bad about uh, income inequality, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that they are taking a look at a, an issue of policy that could become a target of opportunity based on antitrust consideration, which is to say their policy of demanding that anyone selling them a product on the Amazon site may not sell that product on their own site at a lower price. So they could probably argue that they have every right to be able to do that, but they probably don't want to have to try to defend that argument and and expose themselves to the notoriety around this monopoly that's emerged. 
So I think they made a, a legal calculation, a, a pragmatic calculation. My guess is if they're doing business on their site with a brand who is now free to price that same product at a lower price, they'll probably stop doing business with that product on their own site. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays. As far as power, uh, marketplace authority, they're, they're just going to be like Walmart has always been for many, many years, a force of nature in the, in the community. Uh, Walmart has dictated to virtually all of its suppliers, certainly the CPG community, the terms under which the products are going to be packaged, packed, shipped, and sold, and on a de facto basis, at what price. Right. So, so, so the winner in all of this is ultimately the consumer, but um, the politicians are potentially going to have a field day with this. Uh, Amazon is somewhat uh, um, protected by the fact that they tend to, to lower prices rather than raise them. Um, as opposed to some of the CPG companies who've get, gotten caught up in price fixing over the years or uh, allegations of uh, attempts to unfairly raise prices. Barbara? You know, I wonder, I don't know if you've seen the infamous Scott Galloway. He, uh, he made a, a brass prediction for 2019 that Amazon was going to, ahead of the antitrust police, get rid of Amazon uh, AWS, separate huh. out AWS. Now, a lot of people think that's crazy because AWS is obviously generating the profit Huge. for Amazon Huge. and they can't do it without it. But Scott Galloway came out and said, I believe I have this right, that that's a prediction. He's the one who famously said Amazon was going to buy Whole Foods. And his yeah. prediction, as I understand it, for 2019 is that Amazon is going to be ahead of all the people chasing after him and get rid of AWS. I can't imagine how Amazon can work without AWS and still have the power it has. So uh, we'll see if that prediction comes through. But for sure, the politicians, President Trump, et cetera, are out and thinking about the power that Amazon has is enormous. Mark, let me let me finish up by asking you this, because I mentioned at the top, obviously, that, that a lot of people, uh, I think, are wondering how this potential move by Amazon to to have their own grocery stores or you know buy up regional change chains plays because of the purchase of Whole Foods a year and a half ago. How how do you think those two dynamics work together moving forward? Well, Amazon Amazon entered the grocery pool from the shallow end by making an investment they were completely capable of making in Whole Foods, a business that had uh, grown uh, that had become stuck, if you will, in terms of market share, that had tremendous reputation and also had a tremendous um, actual or, or, or logically to be expected overlap with their prime customer. Yeah. So, so though they were in the food business before they bought um, Whole Foods, this gave them a brick-and-mortar platform to further understand the, the dynamics of grocery. And uh, what it tells them, and I don't think they, they discovered this, I think they expected this, is that there, there isn't a place in the marketplace for thousands and thousands and thousands of Whole Foods stores. Sure. Whole Foods is now constituted. Yes. So they, they, they've gotten a bead on the internal machinations of running a low-margin business. Right, right. From pricing to logistics, store management, et cetera. Um, I think they're doing the same thing as a sidebar, by the way, in their purchase of PillPack. Right, exactly. 
Yeah. I, I, I think that's something a lot of people aren't really talking about right now, but I think that's potentially as powerful, if not more powerful, than what we're talking about with regard to convenience and grocery. Mark, thanks very much for giving us your time today. Barbara, great seeing you. Yeah, thanks for all. Here. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.